0: East Welcome to The Sci-Files, an Impact 89 FM series focusing on student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts Chelsea Boudou
1: and Daniel Puentes.
0: The left and the right side of your body are not only different in how you feel using them, but their ranges of motion are different from each other. Today we're here to talk to Garrett Whitey about his research in biomechanics, Garrett, can you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your research?
2: Yeah, hi, I'm Garrett. I'm going into my second year in my PhD. I've been in Dr. Bush's biomechanics lab for the last two plus years, and my research focuses on the range of motion of the hand, people with injuries in the hand, and people with disabilities.
1: Thanks for joining us today, Garrett. The hand is a pretty complex body part, and it's still not well understood today. When you're studying the hand, are you looking at the individual nerve endings in the hand or are you looking at it as a whole?
2: What I really like about my lab in particular in engineering is that we have the opportunity to work with a lot of different disciplines. But on my end, I normally just focus on the bigger picture. So the whole hand itself, sometimes down to the fingers and the digits, but not at the neurological level as some of my counterparts do.
0: So you said that you're working in the engineering building and you're studying how the hand is working as a whole. Can you give us a little bit more detail about what you're studying, particularly with the hand?
2: Absolutely. So the first and probably most important thing to do is to understand how the hand can function, especially a healthy hand. So my lab deals with a lot of people who have disabilities, a lot of people who have injuries, And in order to understand how difficult of a time they are having, it's most important to understand what a healthy hand would look like, how it moves, how far your thumb can move to your pinky, how far your fingers can move. Then you can kind of go forth and analyze the problems that an injured person is having. For example, one of the most common examples that we use is that one in two people over the age of 65 will develop osteoarthritis, which is the loss of range of motion and forcing ability of your thumb. And it's usually in your CMC joint. And in order to analyze these problems, we have to understand what a healthy finger looks like. So what we do is one of the studies that we have going on is taking a look at a particular surgery involved with the CMC joint in the thumb. The CMC joint is known as the carpometacarpal joint. And it is at the base of your thumb. And it is kind of in charge of how your thumb at the base can move. So not at the joints near the tip, but just at the base. And it's a really complex joint because a lot of your joints in your finger kind of are pin joints. They move only in one direction, so you can only flex or extend the tip of your finger or the tip of your your pinky kind of in one plane. But the thumb, you can really move in three dimensions. That's what the CMC joint is responsible for. So one of the surgeries that they do now, it's called a trapeziectomy, where they remove the trapezium, which is underneath the base of the thumb, because that's where a lot of this cartilage loss happens and this is where osteoarthritis develops removing the trapezium is great because it relieves pain but it doesn't necessarily restore full range of motion and one of the surgeries that is happening right now is after they remove the trapezium they connect a tight rope that goes from the base of your thumb bone to the base of your index bone and it kind of acts like a tether so it doesn't get out of control and one of the questions that we answer is, how's your range of motion affected before and after this surgery?
0: Well, wow, I remember a few years ago when I was studying for my undergraduate degree, I actually watched a full video on this surgery. And I remember thinking how crazy it was that there was so many things in the hand and how sad it was also that so many people needed this surgery because of carpal tunnel for things such as typing or texting all the time. And it caused a lot of inflammation and wears on the hand.
1: Yeah, it's pretty unfortunate that this happens, and whenever people hurt their hand, they'll have to see a physical therapist to work on things like improving their range of motion, like you had mentioned there, Garrett. What are some issues that can make a hand take longer to heal during physical therapy?
2: We work really closely with a hand physical therapist, Dr. Schaefer, and we've noticed that the amount of time that a hand takes to heal is usually dependent on the severity of the injury, how long after the injury they start therapy or they get a surgery and where exactly the injury is located. For example, one of the most common injuries to a hand is tendon laceration and that is an immediate trip to the hospital and recovery can take weeks and weeks and weeks and it will obviously take longer if you are not able to get a surgery and you're not able to get into hand therapy. A lot of the research that we are doing with Dr. Gail Schaefer is confidential because they are new and novel ways. We have just recently gotten funding for that.
0: Well, good luck on that project, Garrett. To focus on your current project right now that you're able to talk about, you've mentioned that you're studying how the hand is functioning, and particularly how the range of motion is affected, like the mobility of the hand. I'd like to know more. How are you studying this? Are you asking these participants to do certain type of exercises where you're measuring how far their digits or their hands are extending to?
2: I'd first like to say that there are three projects that I divide my time to. One is a joint project between Dr. Bush's lab, which is my lab, and Dr. Pellet's lab, which is this neuroscience lab. We are studying the motions of a octopus for smart prosthetics. And there have been a couple of MSU articles posted about that. And then the second part of my research has focused on this trapeziectomy, which is evaluating the effectiveness of the tightrope during this mini tightrope surgery. And then my third project is looking at ranges of motion of the hand for daily tasks. So obviously you don't use 100% of your range of motion all at the same time, it is important to us to know what positions or what postures your hands are going into when you do certain actions. So to answer your question, when we are testing healthy and injured hands, we have a specific subset of tests in order to evaluate their range of motion. So that includes abduction and abduction, which is basically going away from your palm. So talking about the thumb, palmar abduction is going away from your palm using your thumb. Adduction is going into your palm. And then we have opposition, which you can kind of think of as touching your thumb to the base of your pinky. Then we have flexion and extension of the thumb and radial abduction and adduction of the thumb. So there are very standard tests that we use in order to evaluate if someone is functioning within their potential limits.
1: Obviously, I'm going to ask you about this octopus study first. Why on earth would you use an octopus to study the nerves of human hands? Wouldn't it be more comparable to perform these comparisons between chimpanzees or something like that? What makes an octopus good to study this?
2: The reason is simply that it's almost not beneficial to have something so similar to the functionality of something that we are used to. One thing that defines us humans is the great relationship between our peripheral nervous system and our central nervous system where we're known for our central nervous system to basically do all the main thinking for us and our peripheral nervous system to carry out these actions. One thing in the peripheral nervous system that we're used to seeing every day is when you touch a hot stove, your hand immediately reaches back without your brain actually thinking about whether or not this is hot. This is something that is exemplified in the octopus. A lot of its thinking is due to its peripheral nervous system which is very advantageous to people who have lost a limb because they want to use their central nervous system in order to move something that they don't have. Dr. Pellet and our lab is looking into a way to fuse these two ideas of motion and a smart prosthetic, something that really hasn't been developed before. In order to bridge the gap between the prosthetics that we have now, which cannot be controlled by your thinking, the biggest difference is that because of this whole relationship between the central nervous system, the CNS, and the peripheral nervous system, the PHS, that difference is what makes the octopus so intriguing is because they don't necessarily depend on their brain for all of their functions. They rely on their appendages to react to their surroundings more than they necessarily depend on their brain to think about what to do, which is different than to what humans or what apes or what chimps do.
0: I'm glad that you're able to work with the octopus in Dr. Pellet's lab. I've heard wonderful things about it, and I look forward to knowing what data comes out of it. Now, that was the first project that you had mentioned out of three. Let's move on. I know you had mentioned the trapeziectomy surgery, which is like the mini tightrope surgery. And I know that a lot of your studies have to do with the range of motion. I would imagine that after they cut open someone's hand, and then they literally put a mini tightrope between parts of their hands, that they can't move around much after. What are you doing specifically with these participants? Are you talking to them pre-operative and then post-operative? Are you trying to figure out how to optimize the surgery? Or are you trying to figure out how to help them heal better afterwards?
2: We see the patients pre-operation and post-operation. Pre-operation, we get a base set of data that we are able to compare specifically for this individual. And then after their operation, we take the same motion capture data and we analyze how different these two are. The goal of this study is to optimize the placement of the mini tightrope on the base of the index finger and the base of the thumb. The reason being, a lot of surgeries, the success of surgeries is usually dependent on the pain relief felt afterward. It does not necessarily focus on the change in range of motion or the change of forcing abilities. We have been creating models during this quarantine to show the thumb and its positioning We can show different thumb postures using different lengths of mini tightrope and different positionings on the thumb and the index finger. We can optimize and recommend to surgeons for the best place for this tightrope.
1: That sounds good, Garrett. Could you expand on how you plan on studying these different parameters involved with performing this kind of operation? Are there multiple locations where this tightrope can be installed in the hand, for example?
2: We are looking at an anchoring point on the index finger. Since that length is so long, there hasn't been any research done on optimizing where this tightrope lands. Just from a normal understanding of hand anatomy, if you put the anchor too high, your thumb might swing like a pendulum. If you put it too low, you might have an issue with compressing the wire. So some of the parameters that we look at right now, since we have just been in quarantine, we've just been creating models and changing the length of the tightrope and seeing how the range of motion just in simulation changes. We are creating a model that when you change the length of the mini tightrope and you put it on a different part of the index finger, you can see how that changes the global range of motion for the thumb. And when it comes to patients themselves, that has been on more of an individual basis where we can actually see what their range of motion is. We can analyze what patients' range of motion is after they've had the surgery, and we can see if it was an effective surgery on their range of motion. Not just for their pain, and not just for discomfort, and not just for forcing ability, but range of motion as well.
1: Maybe one day material physicists can find a solution to constructing a new material that would be compatible with this hand system. Like Chelsea said earlier, there are a variety of tasks that can inflame and agitate the wrist area. How does your research incorporate the range of motion of the hand for daily tasks?
2: That is something that we have been recently looking into. Obviously, it's a great thing to do our tests where we do radial adduction, we do polymer abduction, and we get to really have a complete idea of how a healthy and injured hand moves. However, that's not always applicable to everyday life. You don't always find yourself putting your thumb to the tip of your pinky. Knowing that you can do that is great, but it doesn't necessarily contribute to your daily life. We're looking at analyze the tasks of daily living for the index finger and the thumb. The reason being, these are the most common digits that you use in your everyday life. For the thumb, especially, it can be a very complex joint. However, you don't use the full range of motion of the thumb every day. So it would be really important to know how much of your function is lost. Let's say if you go through an injury, knowing which tasks you will not be able to excel at as easily is very important in treating it, let's say in rehabilitation or preventing the injury from the beginning.
0: I definitely feel like an outlier in this because I do yoga like twice a day. I'm constantly moving my hand around and my fingers and everything. And I feel like this really helps me, particularly even with my wrist pain, because I'm typing and texting and things like that. I know that there are also drugs such as anti-inflammatories that some people take for things like carpal tunnel. Do you know if these drugs work or if they help prolong the surgeries that you're talking about, like the trapeziectomies?
2: There is a known rating scale for how bad your arthritis is. It's always up to the patient what they get done. A lot of people will start out with anti-inflammatories. They'll start out with arthritis drugs medication but a lot of the times it will end up leading to surgery. That being said, with the amount of overwork that therapists go through, it can be difficult to get an injury treated exactly how you want it to get treated, and a lot of the times it may end up leading to surgery no matter what you do. With our aging population, we'll be seeing more surgeries. For some
1: reason, in the media, we constantly see hands getting injured, like in Doctor Strange, for example. How far is the science from figuring out how to just replace parts in the hand with prosthetics like we see in Star Wars, for example?
2: For my research specifically, I probably can't answer a lot of that. But I could tell you how much Luke's hand changes in his range of motion before and after having a new hand. And that's what I think is cool about my field is that we are here for every step of the process. All you need to give us is a problem, and we are here for every stage of finding a solution, and we can see it through. And the fact that we get to work interdisciplinarily, a lot of my colleagues might be able to answer that question specifically, but probably not me.
0: Well, Garrett, we're reaching the end of our interview, and before we go, we'd like to hear a little bit about yourself. What inspired you to get into this research, and what do you want to do afterwards?
2: That is a great question and a story that I have told many times. A quick story. At the beginning of your time in engineering as an undergraduate, because MSU is also where I did my undergraduate degree, it asked you a question about what you see yourself doing in four years. What do you absolutely not want to be doing in four years? I remember when they said, what do you not want to be doing in four years? I said, I do not want to be an automotive engineer. That's something that a lot of us, I think, are groomed to do as mechanical engineers. And then I took Dr. Bush's Dynamics class, and I was instantly inspired by doing something that has real value and is not automotive related in my mechanical engineering field. That's what really inspired me to be a part of her lab. And as an undergraduate, I worked for her for about a year. Then I was getting towards my graduation, and I decided to ask if she had a spot for a graduate student, and she did. So I was really able to just continue on in her lab. And that has been really the biggest drive for me to be an engineer. My predecessor, Josh Dross, was also a huge influence. He really got me going on functionality of the hand. And that has got me into this process. I would have to thank my lab mate, Justin Scott, because when I was in Dr. Bush's lab, he was really the one that I probably worked closest with. He introduced me to all these people with disabilities and real-life people that we could actually help pretty immediately, and I think that was also a huge drive for me.
1: I can understand that feeling of having incredible mentors that help guide us on our academic paths. Otherwise, it's easy for people to get lost along the way or even suffer from abuse from toxic environments. I'm glad you were able to find your ideal lab space, and thanks for talking to us today about your work on Injured Hands.
2: Thank you both for having me. I think this was a really exciting opportunity. The sci is hosted by Chelsea
1: Voodoo and Daniel Puentes on Impact 89FM. Thank you to our News Director, Taylor Halterman, Program Director, Amber Konutsky, Station Manager, Joe Dandrin, and General Manager, Jeremy Whiting.
0: The sci can be found online on sci and on your favorite podcast directory. If you're an MSU student and want to be featured on SciFiles, or if you have any questions, you can contact us at SciFiles at 9 fmorg
1: Thanks for listening, and remember, the truth is in the science.